This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Roswell, aliens, probing, roar of the worlds. These that's are all, good. Thank you. These all have one thing in common, and that is Adam. Is it? Is it aliens? Uh, I guess. I guess that is it. <laughs> I thought you were kind of doing like a free, like spoken word uh, association oh, yeah. at the very beginning there. <laughs> aliens. Just to kind of get the creative juices flowing. Yeah, that's what I like to do before every single episode (laughs) of the podcast is I just free word associate until something comes to me and sometimes it doesn't and we all have to be okay with that. Yeah, that's isn't that the creative process (laughs) for me? It's most of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hi, welcome to the Great American Scream. Oh, that's my job. Yeah, Hi. usually you do that. Sorry, I got abducted the other day, and I'm still reeling from it. Hi, welcome to the Great American Stream. My name is Devin Wright. Uh, my name is Adam, and today uh, we are going to be continuing uh, kind of our discussion that started last week on aliens. Uh, but I want to take a turn, and this time around, uh, I want to talk more about uh, you know, aliens, not just in film and television and in, in media, but in, in our lives. Uh, and I okay. want to talk about alien sightings. In your life and my life. Yeah, and close encounters. And uh, is it ufology or UFOlogy? It's ufology, it would, right? It's got to be UFOlogy. But there's only one O. Yeah, UFOlogy. And it's not capitalized. I did well, yeah, it once. It can't, it can't be UF. It can't be UFOlogy. Because that just means no. un- the study the study of I- unidentified <laughs> flyings. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's it, ufology. It's, it can't be ufology. That can't be it. Uh, no, it's gotta be. Unless it's like a big goof that everybody decided on together. That it's Which ufology is possible that in, this, in this field. Entirely possible. Right. Yeah, it um, should be UFOlogy. Or UFO- but anyway. Man, that's a real humdinger, huh? We're going to talk about that. Um, okay. And this episode is not going to be a debate over whether or not aliens are real because they are. Um, they are. But more of an examination of like American culture around ufology uh, because and some of the most famous alien UFO sightings that are currently recorded because uh, uh, they're it's pretty big in the United States. and It's a pretty big part of like U.S. like pop culture. Aliens yeah. and UFO sightings, uh, not really as big as it was in like the 1950s and 60s, because that was kind of the heyday, but still pretty big. Um, yeah. I, I want to start out just I'm going to hijack the podcast for a second because uh, aliens being real is one of my favorite things, mm-hmm. uh, because we're not talking like like we said last week, we're not talking about whether aliens have like come to the earth and like abducted you specifically and like done stuff that we can see or whatever. But yeah. I would like to, I just control F'd in Adam's outline to make sure it wasn't in here. <laughs> but if you're curious about the reason why we're sure that aliens exist and it's just true, 
There's a thing called the Fermi paradox, which is named for uh, an Italian-American physicist, Enrico Fermi, who was with a bunch of other physicists, uh, and he he went through a bunch of back-of-the-napkin math. He said, there are billions of stars in the Milky Way, similar to the sun. Some of these stars have to have Earth-like planets, and some of those Earth-like planets have to be in the ha- habit- habitable zone. Many of those stars are older than the Earth and the sun, much, much, much older. And so if the Earth is typical, which by these calculations it would be, some may have developed intelligent life a very long time ago. Some of those civilizations may have developed interstellar travel. And even at the slow pace of how we can see interstellar travel, uh, the Milky Way could have been traversed in a few million years. And it has been a few million years. So since so many stars similar to the sun are billions of years older, Earth should have already been visited by uh, extraterrestrial civilizations or at least by their probes. However, there's no convincing evidence that this has happened. That's called the Fermi Paradox. By all mathematical calculations, aliens exist, but we have not heard from them. It is freaking fascinating. There are tons of different arguments for it uh, about why that that try to solve it. There's... uh, there's ideas that like God sent all these people to hell because they weren't his true creations. There are ideas that uh, that they don't exist in a way that we can perceive. There's ideas that uh, advanced civilization leads to its own destruction or uh, species naturally lose their interest to reproduce so they don't propagate uh, or that advanced civilizations understand that there's a period where... <laughs> Civilizations are bad to contact and would kill everyone, and so they're waiting for we for us to like not freak out when we talk to them. It's a fascinating question, and it's something that is for a different podcast. But aliens are real. It's just a question of why we haven't heard from them. Yeah, and that's Good. I think one of the most interesting things about this particular like pseudoscience, like if, pseudoscience, depending on who you ask, is that other the the whole thing with aliens, the existence of aliens, is that like statistically just like probability wise with all that information they have to be real and like you can't say the same thing with like cryptozoology or with like paranormal studies uh you can't use that same argument but for aliens it makes complete and total sense that there just has to be because of math um yeah it doesn't really work for any other pseudoscience so uh i want to start off by talking about close encounters and when we say the term close encounters that People don't think of like a capital C-E, close encounters, but that is a very definable term. Uh, most okay. people just think most people just think about the movie like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, but that title actually has a meaning because there are several type, types of close encounters with exact definitions. Um, oh, and so this what cl- are the first and second kind? Well, you'll, we're going to find out. This, uh, this close oh, okay. encounter classification system was first created by astronomer and UFO researcher J. Allen Hynek uh, in his 1972 book, The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry. Uh, and Hynek was a pretty prominent figure in ufology. Uh, see, I just said it differently now. Ufology. Ah, in ufology. We'll just switch back and forth. Uh, yeah, acting as a scientific advisor to three separate Air Force UFO Air Force UFO projects, including Project Blue Book, uh, and he pretty famously gave a speech to the United Nations calling for a centralized UN authority on UFOs, uh, to no success. 
This scale is not totally accepted due to a kind of lack of scientific rigor on Hynek's part, but what else is new in pseudoscience? Uh, But the film uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which came out in 1977, helped popularize these terms. Uh, So here is the scale. Hey, Uh, I have a thing that's a new rule. If you Uh are doing pseudoscience, you're not allowed to call your book, you're not allowed to subhead your book a scientific inquiry. You know? (laughs) It just okay. doesn't seem fair. Uh, so here That's is the, the scale. It. It's start. <laughs> it starts from the furthest reach to the closest point of contact, uh, starting with nocturnal lights, lights up in the night sky. That's it. Okay. That is the first uh, thing on the scale. Nothing really else to say about that other than it's lights in the night sky. Could be a lot of things. So technically, anytime you've seen an airplane, this is technically on the close encounter scale. Uh, okay. Second one is daylight discs, which are, <laughs> I like that term a lot, uh, UFOs yeah, seen. Yeah, that's a band name. Yeah, uh, which are UFOs seen during the day, generally in a disc shape. Again, very definable, very clear, uh, these definitions. Uh, the third is radar visual, which are UFOs that have radar confirmation, which is now when we start to get into sort of things that you don't see every day. Not that you see flying discs in the sky every day, but... Uh, I mean, I do, but okay. Just sort of a general confirmation. Um, Next, we reach close encounters of the first kind, which is a visual UFO sighting from less than 500 feet away, uh, generally accepted as enough to see detail uh, of the craft. So most UFO sightings fall into close encounters of the first kind. Uh, Okay. The next is Close Encounters of the Second Kind, which is a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged by the person that saw it. Uh, So it can be interference with a vehicle or electronic device. It can be animals reacting. It can be like a physiological effect, like uh, paralysis, heat, discomfort, whatever, some kind of physical effect in the witness. Or it can be some physical trace in the environment around you or the ground, uh, like scorched ground or otherwise affected vegetation or some kind of chemical trace. Uh, Yes, crop circles would be a close encounter of the second kind. Uh, So physical evidence uh, that something has gone awry here, uh, but no actual sight of any aliens. Uh, That leads us to close encounters of the third kind, which are UFO encounters in which an animated... Yeah, yeah, woo! Sorry, Uh, I interrupted you. I was excited. uh, UFO encounters in which an animated entity is present. Uh, This could be a humanoid, a robot, or a human who seems to be an occupant or pilot of a UFO, uh, and these are known as first contact events. Okay, I get that. I, I'm probably in the majority here. I thought that like third kind meant like that's what aliens were. You know? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, like, yeah. The third kind was aliens. Like maybe the first kind was humans. The second kind was animals because people are stupid and don't think that humans are animals. Yeah. And that the third kind was was aliens. Was aliens. Interesting. But that's okay. Because uh, the definition for close encounters of the third kind also opens up the potential that humans uh, could be the ones inhabiting UFOs. Right. There's a. I mean, that's a. I I would. That one isn't surprising to me. The idea of like people thinking, oh, maybe humans are actually super advanced and like we're just some like at some point people yeah. defeated <laughs> this planet and then left. Yeah. I get that. Um, there have that's also one of the that's that's one of the explanations, and you also don't talk about this 
in this outline, which is wild to me, that we had a UFO report declassified by the Department of Defense and the uh, the Pentagon this year about mm-hmm. the different flying objects with no fume trails moving way too fast and accelerating too fast for a human being to survive and we don't know what they are and one of the explanations that they gave was that it was a wait i have the the thing here uh classified technology developed by the u.s or its industry partners okay industry partners code word Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> or um, <laughs> or freaking Blackwater. Who knows? Yeah, like, uh, there have been some extensions of Hynek scale uh, to go into Close Encounters of the Fourth and Fifth Kind. Uh, close Encounters of the Fourth Kind would be when a human is abducted by a UFO and its occupants. I like the the, de- the descriptor of and its occupants, uh, so we know that the UFO is not acting <laughs> alone. Well, I would understand that. Yeah. <laughs> One of these weird eggs that the Air Force pilots saw, just like a claw comes down and scoops you up. Yeah. The claw. The claw. Um, and then finally, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, which is a UFO event claiming direct communication between aliens and humans. I find that interesting okay. that that's the This is the stupid. End. Yeah. yeah. Th- why is this the highest one? Because like, it makes sense that fourth is above third, but if you're calling Close Encounters of the Third Kind first contact events, wouldn't that imply communication? I guess not necessarily if you see what about, like, the body inhabitants language? of the UFO, but you do not communicate with them. I think that these ufologists are not <laughs> thinking about the uh, power of body language. <laughs> ha. Um, that's a, yeah, that's the, a little those, mermaid reference for all of you out there. Yeah, thank you for all you children out there. Um, the, uh, the fourth and fifth kinds are not originally part of Hynek's scale. They were added on. Um, it shows. But also people... People who have had these encounters are called contactees, uh, which is interesting. Um, ah, that's also people who are big fans of the <laughs> 1990s hit film Contact. Contact. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now to they go into still Canada. Want hit- someone to go, <laughs> doctor. Hey, Senator, <laughs> love the suit. So now to go into the history of the study of UFOs, the study of ufology. Uh, The roots of ufology began really in the 1890s, uh, which is interesting, uh, around a series of mystery airship sightings uh, reported in newspaper reports in the Western United States and spreading east during uh, late 1896 and early uh, early 1897. Uh, And then also the- full of good band names. Full of good band names. Mystery airship is such a good band name. Well, I mean, the next thing we talk about are the Foo Fighters. Uh, hey, I which know I didn't, I didn't realize that like Foo Fighters, the band name, and I probably should, I didn't realize that Foo Fighters, the band name came from, you know, something. I thought it was something that, that, that good, good man, Dave Grohl made I thought made they up. were just, yeah, <laughs> it does sound like something Dave Grohl would make up. Um, so the Foo Fighters, as seen by allied airmen during World War II, uh, they were this mysterious phenomena in the sky over the European and Pacific theaters that, were not identifiable as any nation's artillery or airships. So yeah, probably the start of the Nazis actually know the aliens and they're hiding in Antarctica. Yes. That theory. Yeah. that Uh, one. That's probably where that started. Also, can I make a really specific night at the museum to battle of the Smithsonian reference for you? Absolutely. What kind of question is that? Uh, uh, you know when the Tuskegee Airmen are there? The Tuskegee, go, Airmen. the Tuskegee Airmen are on the move once again. 
Those movies, so good. Those movies have no business being as good as they are. My One of our friends at the Renaissance Fair told us about this video compilation of people dunking on Ben Stiller, and I got so angry because he was making fun of Ben Stiller's acting ability, and I, as a lifelong stan of the Night at the Museum films, who had his gay awakening from Rami Malek in the first film. Same. I Ben Stiller deserves some credit for those. Yeah, they're and good. also for dodgeball. They're awesome. They're very they're good. like they're perfect. They're like a nice mix of both educational and funny. And that's not what the show is about. But horror podcast canceled. <laughs> this is now just a night at the museum watch. Podcast. A night at the museum podcast would be really good. I don't know what you, you'd talk about, but Every, I would listen to it. You know what those movies are? Is the perfect kind of till death do us blart films, where you have to watch what, oh, okay. like all three of them. Yeah, or all all four of them. All three. Three. It's the uh, first one, Battle Smithsonian, and then the one more at the British Museum. What is that one called? With Rebel Wilson. Uh, that one is hard because you always expect it to be a trilogy, and then 10 years later they make a bad one. Spy Kids. <laughs> but okay. this is not that. Um, yeah. I don't remember what that one is called. What the hell is that uh, one called? Ding, dang, they're at it again. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, I need to look it up because it's bothering me. But we should do that podcast where we just watch... Secret like, of the Tomb. Ah, that's a bad name. Um... We should do a podcast where every week we watch all three of them over and over and over again. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, those are the Foo Fighters. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Foo Fighters. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I'm 15. Not, oh, not wait, that's to, fine for fighting. Not, <laughs> to, not to do another derail, but have you ever seen the video of Dave Grohl talking about when the Foo Fighters were on SNL and Christopher Walken was the host? And Christopher Walken asked them, is the emphasis oh, on Foo or on fighters? fighters? And Dave Grohl said they're on fighters. So Christopher Walken went, ladies and gentlemen, Foo Fighters. <laughs> ladies anyway. and gentlemen. Foo Fighters. <laughs> anyway, that's I can't do my Christopher Walken right now. It's bad. Uh, okay, back to aliens. Flying saucers specifically. Speaking of Christopher Walken. Yeah. <laughs> aliens. Flying saucers specifically came into the public eye with the Kenneth Arnold UFO sighting on June 24th, 1947. So this guy, Kenneth Arnold, uh, claimed that he saw a string of nine shiny unidentified flying objects flying past Mount Rainer. Uh, Rainier. At- Rainier, pardon, uh, at speeds that Arnold estimated at a minimum of 1,200 miles an hour. I uh, love that ballpark. How fast were they going? Nah, at least 1,200. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking also, about? Also, the only reason I, I corrected you on Rainier is because Rainier is where they have Rainier Gala apples, which are not as good as New York Gala apples, and so I'm in a feud with, that, with them. Okay, you got beef. But I do respect them. So, okay. you know. Um, but this sighting and the reporting around it popularized the terms flying saucer or flying disc to refer to a UFO, which we would see then in the big sci-fi boom of the 50s. Every movie was about flying saucers. Um, and that was kind of the idea of what a UFO was. Although there are other UFOs, like the the like the black triangle kind of UFOs that people talk about uh, as well. Yeah, the monolithic but, kinds. Yeah, but flying saucers are the big ones. Um and very shortly after this was the Roswell incident, which happened in early Hell July yeah. of 1947. So literally like slipping. three weeks later. Yeah. Um, I do want to stop pit stop to talk about Roswell because there's not a lot of, that 
I think people generally know about Roswell other than yeah. there were aliens there. Like when I think of Roswell, I'm like, oh, there was an alien sighting there. But actually there was yeah. no alien sighting. Um, Much so- like anybody driving across the country and passing through New Mexico. Let's take a short pit stop when we remember what Roswell is. And we'll just stop there for like 10 minutes, maybe see an alien sign, take a few pictures, post them on Insta and then keep going. Yeah. Listen, I, I was talking about this at the end of this bit, but I really want to go to Roswell. So, oh, me too. Uh, after the Kenneth Arnold sighting, there was a flying saucer craze in 1947. Uh, there were over 800 claimed sightings of flying saucers just that year. Um, the Roswell incident began when a ranch foreman uh, saw clusters of debris on the Foster Ranch, which is about 30 miles outside of Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, it was not reported until July 6, but it's possible that the foreman saw the debris there as early as June. Uh, and the Roswell Army Airfield came in to investigate the debris. Uh, and on July 8, 1947, uh, the RAAF public information officer, Walter Hutt, issued a press release stating that the personnel recovered, quote, a flying disc, which newspapers took and okay. ran with. And everybody lost yeah. their minds. So the RAF went, no, 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 back it up. This is actually probably just a weather balloon. Uh, and the story almost died instantly when they said it was a weather balloon. Uh, until yeah. about 30 years later in the late 1970s when the story reemerged. Because in February of 1978, uh, UFO researcher Stanton Friedman interviewed Jesse Marcel, the only person known to have accompanied the Roswell debris from where it was recovered to Fort Worth. Uh, and Marcel said the following, uh, about the press conference about the weather balloon. Uh, they wanted some comments from me, but I wasn't at liberty to do that. So all I could do is keep my mouth shut. And, uh, general, uh, and general Ramey is the one who discussed, told the newspapers, I mean, the newsmen, what it was and to forget about it. Uh, it is nothing more than a weather observation balloon. Of course, we both knew differently. Dun, dun, mm. dun. This was in, we have to remember, this is 1947. You know what that was. <laughs> it was some kind of a Soviet aircraft, and they just were like, oh, God, how did it get over New Mexico? That's not good. Oh, God, Let's oh, God. Let's not freak everybody out. <laughs> yeah. And they were um, like, let's not Red Scare anymore. Like, listen, we love the Red Scare. We love using it to out a bunch of people we don't like from government, but let's not, you know, really go for it. <laughs> Uh, this turned, uh, this report turned Roswell into one of the biggest UFO stories of all time as the conclusion from both conspiracy theorists and ufologists, uh, turned to the idea that it was a crashed alien spacecraft and a massive government cover-up. I love your phrasing of that as if they, after, after a long time of deliberation, (laughs) all of these people decided, even though they were already conspiracy theorists and ufologists, they said, you know... I'm a skeptic at heart, but what I think this is, after well, rigorous scientific theory, <laughs> is that this was an alien spacecraft and a huge government cover-up. It's interesting because before that interview, nobody really cared about Roswell. Like, it wasn't a story. It wasn't anything. And this is kind of what made everybody look back on it and go, oh, my God. Yeah, um, I mean, that makes sense, though. You think about the kind of post, the right after po- uh, World War II, uh, getting right into the Cold War, the, like, Right, right, right. We need to trust in like the government we have because stuff is about to go crazy and we Mm -hmm. just like fought the ding dang Nazis and we got to be like focused here. And then 30 years later, people are like, wait a second. Hold on now. (laughs) What was that? The Korean War thing was kind of a bad idea. Um, 
This story would eventually expand into rumors of recovered alien bodies and alien autopsies. Um, that was kind of a big thing. And there was that like pseudo documentary that came out called Alien Autopsy. Alien Autopsies, Fact or Fiction, which was alleged recovered footage from the autopsies at Roswell, but then were revealed to be recreations of alleged recovered footage. Um, uh, So there's no, like, confirmation of, like, there definitely was an alien, like, alien bodies recovered, but that kind of became a big part of the Roswell story. Um, And Roswell, the town, has now become known for this incident, and boy, are they cool with that. Yeah. Uh, their city seal has an alien on it, which I love for them Hell a yeah. lot. The only town allowed to put their city seal on their flag because it has an alien on it. They're the yeah. only ones. Um, uh, Roswell is home to the International UFO Museum and Research Center. Uh, uh, it you got to imagine also, the title of international <laughs> is really hard to get for them. And there are a lot of yeah. countries competing for that. <laughs> There, uh, it is also home to one of the few uh, still standing non-standard McDonald's. Uh, they have a flying saucer shaped McDonald's there, which is that's very never cool. going down. I hope not, because they've been closing all of the cool McDonald's. Yeah, but you can't close that one. You can't get rid of the UFO one. Yeah. Um. They also hand hold an annual UFO festival in the summer with live music, local food, costumes, and a parade, which sounds like them. a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I really want to go to Roswell. If you go to their tourism website, they have like, if you're into aliens, click here and like an exact touring plan for you to see all the nonsense. <laughs> so next summer, let's plan for that. Yeah, let's go to Roswell. Let's go during the UFO festival. Um. Now I want to shift from talking about uh, UFO sightings to, and again, like there's like literally thousands of UFO sightings we could talk about. There's not enough time to talk about all of them, so I'm just highlighting a couple because I want to shift over from UFO sightings to alien abductions. Heck, uh, yeah, Which man. was kind of the Love next these. logical step in the narration of, like, we were really into talking about UFO sightings throughout the 50s and 60s, and then towards the end of the 60s, early 70s. Like, not to be like, oh, like, you know, mass media had changed the narrative, but UFO sightings weren't as exciting anymore because... Gotta, listen, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, act, it's act two, you gotta up the stakes. Yeah, people were like, oh, UFO sightings, like, been there, done that. I've seen, yeah. everyone's seen a UFO, you're not Everybody special, Jerry. UFO. Look to your left, um, look to your right, 100% of those people have seen a UFO. Yeah, so the next narrative that came out was about stories of alien abductions. Uh, and there is another classification system that follows the narrative of alien abductions, uh, classified by folklorist Thomas E. Bullard. Um, I'm so into this. This is what I'm here to talk about. And that's yeah. the fact that like one of the cool things about American culture, because it's such a goddamn big country and there's so so many people that live in the middle of nowhere, is that we have pretty modern forms of folklore. Like mm-hmm. there aren't many other countries that you can talk about folklore that developed in the 1950s, 60s and 70s. Yeah. And alien folklore did. And that's so goddamn cool. And that's the cool way to talk about aliens if we're not arguing about whether they're real or not, because they are, we can talk about the place that aliens as little green men that abduct people have a place in f- American folklore. That's so cool. Right. And this classification system came about because as these stories of alien abductions began to be widely reported, people noticed that they all kind of followed the same narrative structure, as yeah. it were. Uh, whatever that says about the authenticity of the story is what it says. But anyway, hey, it doesn't let's talk. say that much about the authenticity of the four Gospels, and we still yeah. like those things. 
So let's talk about this uh, this order of events. Uh, the first event is noted as the capture, uh, when the abductee is somehow rendered incapable of resisting or escaping and taken from terrestrial surroundings, the Earth, uh, into some kind of alien spacecraft. I'm, I'm up with that. I don't understand why they need to be rendered incapable of resisting, as if any human resisting aliens would put up any kind of, like, <laughs> like oh yeah, Jerry resisted and so he got to get away. Like, yeah. No. They're going to get you. Yeah. Um, the next uh, step is examination and procedures, uh, which invasive physiological and psychological uh, procedures uh, on occasion simulated behavioral situations, training and testing or some, uh, uh, you know, some probing might happen. Ah, now uh, we get to the now we get to the root of it, which is aliens as the sexy part thing. Which <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, again powerful i'm not gonna begrudge anyone who isn't lives in the middle of nowhere with a husband that they despise and they want to imagine some strong technologically advanced aliens taking them and making them feel good that's yeah good for them. i mean th- it makes sense for the time late 60s early 70s yeah, um it's the same as Dr- dracula yeah exactly uh, the next uh, step would be the conference. The abductors communicate with the abductee or direct them to interact with specific individuals for some purpose, uh, typing telepathically, but sometimes using the abductee's native language. That's pretty cool when aliens just pop the English out. I mean, that makes sense. You have like those univer- the idea that like they can just communicate. This mm-hmm. is one of the things about like we don't know whether they use radio waves, which is maybe why we haven't heard from them, even though we've yeah. known about radio waves for 100 years, is like, Maybe they they just communicate in a way that they can intrinsically that all carbon based life forms can intrinsically understand. And so they're yeah. just like, yeah, they just like touch you and you're like, oh, wow, that's such a beautiful story you just told me through touch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The next step is the tour. The abductees are given a tour of their captor's vessel, though this is disputed That's by so some research, researchers who consider this uh, definition uh, a confabulation of intent when just apparently being taken around to multiple places inside the ship. That makes sense. Oh. I don't know why you would if I were an alien and I I would start with the tour. I wouldn't like do all my tests and stuff and then go here. Get up. Let me show you around my lovely ship. Yeah, and and it's talked about later in this list of like one of the whole things is that a lot of the time they forget it by design. So why do you give a tour mm-hmm. if like it like it kind of feels like bringing the dog to McDonald's to have two cheeseburgers right before you have to go and take her to get put down, you know? It feels oh. like it feel, I'm, I'm sorry to sorry, that that image. really sad. <laughs> uh it's like a yeah, it's a lovely it's a lovely uh gesture, but is it really like are we? Are but then we really, it's like, so why do you do it? We're on the Titanic. Yeah, you do it because you can. <laughs> um, sure. Anyhow, the next uh, one is a loss of time. Uh, abductees often rapidly forget the majority of their experience, either as a result of fear, medical intervention, or both. Like you said, uh, this is when the lines start to get blurred, and why many alien abductees cannot recall their exact experiences. Uh, next, right. or the fact that they're they're not real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next is the return. The abductees are returned to Earth occasionally in a different location from when they were allegedly taken or with new injuries or disheveled clothing, um, which I find this is always the funniest part of alien invasion. Because I guess humans do it, too. And we do like testing on animals, which we don't really do anymore. But when yeah. we did, we would then release them back into the wild. But that's so funny to me. The idea of like just popping them back. 
in the yeah, desert. Yeah, like that kind of looks them. like the same environment. This person yeah. came from a desert. Let's just put them in the desert. It's like this is these aliens are really hot and cold, you know? Yeah. Like like overcome you if you resist, probe you, sometimes probe you, you know, eyebrows raise. Yeah, in like a fun way. You. Then like talk to you, then give you a tour, then make you forget the tour. And drop you off the thing so you sprain your ankle on the way down. Like, what kind of messages are these guys sending? Um, I just next, don't know if I should text him again because I don't know if I want to go through that. Uh, the next, I can't quite pronounce this word. Theo, theophan, theophany, theophany, yeah, like probably. Uh, so this is uh, coinciding with their immediate return. Abductees may have a profound sense of love, a high similar to those induced by certain drugs or a mystical experience accompanied by feelings of oneness with God, the universe or their abductors. Uh, whether this is a result of a metaphysical change, Stockholm syndrome or prior medical tampering is not often scrutinized by the abductees at the time. I, I also wouldn't scrutinize is. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also wouldn't go like, hmm, I wonder why I am feeling this way. Yeah, I, you know, if there's one thing I, I, I don't begrudge people who think they've been abducted by aliens, it's a lack of internal scrutiny. Yeah. That's not really what I'm looking for from them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then finally, uh, the aftermath. The abductee must cope with the psychological, physical, and social effects of the experience. Which I mean, is a yeah, big that's fair. Part of it. There are like alien abductee support groups and Yeah, you uh, never places- talk about People always forget about the aftermath. We send our boys off to get abducted <laughs> and we bring them back and we just don't let them, we don't give them the time of day. Listen, I can make that joke. Three of my family members are veterans. I can make the joke. It's okay. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit when we talk about a specific uh, alien abduction case of how, like, whether or not these events happened, uh, they, the, they the, didn't. the lasting effects are real and right. uh, there are real places for, for people to cope with them. Um, and alien abduction complaints have been around for longer than hey, we think. Hey, if you have trauma from a alien abduction that is not real, but is in your head, but feels real to you, you can go to this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not sponsored, but you can sponsor Legal. us, BetterHelp. You can if you want to. Um, so alien abduction claims have been around longer than we think, although they did not receive widespread attention until the 1960s. Uh, and what rose them to the public eye was probably the Barney and Betty Hill abduction case of 1961, which you might have heard of. Uh, so Barney and Betty Hill uh, were a couple that alleged they saw a flying saucer just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, uh, on U.S. Route 3 on the evening of September 19th. Uh, they saw it, looked at it for a while, and then continued to drive. Uh, and about a mile south of Indian Head, which is a mountain pass in the White Mountains, uh, the craft began to move rapidly towards their vehicle, uh, which mean likey, <laughs> uh, which caused them to stop the car. Yeah. It hovered about 100 feet above their vehicle. And when Barney used his binoculars to investigate, he saw 8 to 11 humanoid figures peering out of the windows of their craft. Uh, they wore glossy black uniforms and black caps. Okay. Uh, the Hills got back in their car and sped away, fearing that they would be captured by the creatures. Uh, but almost immediately, the Hills felt a tingling sensation pass through the car and their bodies and stated that their minds felt dulled for a period of time and soon found that they had driven 35 miles south but only had vague memories of it. Um, immediately after arriving home, they observed some strange phenomena, uh, tears in their clothes and belongings they hadn't noticed before. Both of their watches, uh, were broken and would never work again. Uh, Betty also noticed okay. a pink. 
Uh, Betty also noticed a pink powder on her dress and shoes, uh, which blew away on a clothesline, but the fabric was still damaged by whatever this powder was. Uh, and then okay. Betty also would have strange dreams in the weeks following the abduction, including ones where she was examined by the beings on the craft and communicated with them. Um, they first publicly disclosed their UFO encounter in a church group on March 3rd, 1963. Uh, and then shortly after, they began to see a hypnotist to try and recover the missing spots in their memory. Uh, the hypnotist concluded that these were memory these memories were a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Uh, and while the Hills disagreed, they also noted that they were no longer troubled by abduction anxiety after That's the session. Good. So, uh, yeah. And they discussed the event with uh, ufologists, but made no effort to seek publicity. But now uh, they're one of the most famous and widely researched cases of of abduction of all time. Yeah. Again, being (laughs) the red-blooded American (laughs) anti-Soviet that I am. Yeah. I imagine this is like that pink powder was some kind of, you know what it actually probably was? Mm -hmm. Me being a leftist anti-corporatist as I am. Mm -hmm. It was probably some some really bad, disgusting... uh, pesticide mm, that, interesting. Like, that like caused hallucination and screwed them up real bad oh wow and like damaged their clothes and then yeah that's wow. my theory but that's that is an interesting theory. theory unalien theory uh yeah this one is just the one the case that kind of launched and again just like after uh the kenneth arnold sighting there were hundreds of of reports of alien abductions uh that came after barney and betty hill oh Um, these guys weren't some of those bandwagon abductees (laughs) you don't know the real experience my hip abductees you know you can oh, always yeah. work the adductees, uh, you know, on the subway, but the abductees are really Very nice. harder to get at. Um, so, uh, again, and reports of alien abductions continue to this day. And again, there's no time to talk about all of them. Uh, but they enter pretty quickly into popular culture. You know, now, uh, you know, the, the sci-fi movies of the 50s were very often about UFO sightings and aliens touching down on Earth. And then they kind of shifted to being about abductions uh, and aliens kind of taking over human society. Uh, and they've entered so quickly into popular culture and especially alien abductions and examinations are now sort of in film, a stand in or representation for sexuality. Um, they were, they're not so much anymore, but they definitely were in like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, yeah, you can imagine them as being yet another form of an expression of sexual repression from a, like, uh, deeply uh, religious and sexually repressed um, culture that is America. Yeah. And like we talked about before, um, alien uh, uh, alien objection is now like alien tourism. Everybody's is a an big, alien. Well, yeah. <laughs> alien tourism is now kind of really big too. Um, like we talked about with Roswell. And it's not, you know, besides the tourism and the movies and TV shows, uh, they've entered our public culture in other ways, too. This is the fun fact that I learned. Uh, You can get alien abduction insurance. Uh, The first company to offer up UFO abduction insurance was through the St. Lawrence Agency in Altamont Springs, Florida, which is uh, next to the town where I used to live. Uh, And then... Geico Insurance, which does not sell alien insurance policies, and the Daily Telegraph report that one English company has sold over 30,000 alien abduction insurance policies. So St. Lawrence is like, I I know this because my my middle name is Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's like the patron saint of, you know, like librarians and comedians. So you think it's interesting that this insurance company is named after... Yeah, what are they going for? I don't know. 
uh, students, I think. There's like, here, I can pull up a list. No, I'm not going to pull up a list. Screw it. I just want to <laughs> see if, I just want to see if UFO abductees is on there. Oh, oh. Because you know oh. that there's, hey, Devin's Saint Corner. You know that there's a woman who's the patron saint of television uh, who lived like hundreds of years ago because she, the way she received her divine inspirations from uh, God were projected on her hospital wall. Mm. That's a fun little thing. That is a fun uh, little thing. Saint of television. Let me find her name. This is Devin Saint Corner. <laughs> uh, Saint Clair of Assisi. Probably Francis's son. Uh, I mean daughter. Uh, I mean sister. Uh, yeah, she was a Franciscan. Ita- oh, she she lived from 1194 to 1253. That's way lo- more long ago than I thought. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Hey. Nothing about aliens? I got nothing more about aliens. Saints are all aliens, and that's everything we got. Hey, thank you for listening to this, the 71st episode of The Great American Scream. If you enjoyed, please leave a rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Tell a friend about the show. It's the best way to spread the word. Adam, can you pimp our social medias, please? Uh, Yes, you can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Uh, Please, uh, (laughs) if you've ever seen a UFO, please tell us. Um, (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there is something you would like to hear about on the show, tweet at us or make a post because your suggestion may become the topic for a future episode. Yes. A special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the intro disclaimer, as well as Stevie Viola, who does the intro natural music. You can find his stuff on both Twitter and YouTube. He's very good at what he does. And also a special thank you to all of our current patrons. If you have a dollar or two to throw our way every month, you can get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes content, more and more content as we go towards Halloween Horror Nights and as we transition out of our very crazy time. Uh, So a special thank you goes out to all of our Man in the Fields patrons or higher. So thank you to Regina, Ben, Bree, Gail, Joyce, Melinda, and Chris. I have been Devin Wright. I have been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. And not abducted by aliens. And not probed, either scientifically or sexually. Unless you're into that, which <laughs> just, in which case, what are you going to do, Adam? You're going to be safe about it. You're going to be safe about it. You're going to probe safely. <laughs>